Chapter Eleven of Short Stories for Colored People, Both Old and Young, by Silas X. Floyd. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Benjamin Banneker, the Negro Astronomer. The little colored boys and girls of America should be proud to know, as I suppose the little white boys and girls will be surprised to learn, that the first clock of which every portion was made in America was made by a colored man. The colored children will also be glad to know, I think, that among the earliest almanacs prepared for general use in this country were those which were published for several years by the same colored man. His name was Benjamin Banneker. I have found a good and true account of this wonderful man in the Atlantic Monthly for January 1863. I'm going to give a good portion of that account in this book because I believe every colored person in America should be acquainted with that man's history. The account says, Benjamin Banneker was born in Baltimore County, Maryland, near the village of Ellicott's Mills, in the year 1732. There was not a drop of white man's blood in his veins. His father was born in Africa, and his mother's parents were both natives of Africa. What genius he had, then, must be credited to that race. When he was approaching manhood, he went, in the intervals of toil, to an obscure and remote country school. At this school, Benjamin acquired a knowledge of reading and writing, and advanced in arithmetic as far as double position. Beyond these rudiments, he was his own teacher. Young Banneker had no books at all, but in the midst of labor for a living, he so improved upon what he had gained in arithmetic that his intelligence became a matter of general observation. He was such an acute observer of the natural world and had so diligently observed the signs of times in society that it is very doubtful whether at forty years of age this African had his superior in Maryland. Perhaps the first wonder amongst his comparatively illiterate neighbors was excited when, about the thirteenth year of his age, Benjamin made a clock. It is probable that this was the first clock of which every portion was made in America. It is certain that it was purely his own invention, as if none had ever been made before. He had seen a watch, but never a clock, such an article not being within fifty miles of him. He used the watch as a model for his clock. He was a long time at work on the clock, his chief difficulty, as he used often to relate, being to make the hour, minute, and second hands correspond in their motion. But at last the work was completed, and raised the admiration for Banneker to quite a high pitch among his few neighbors. The making of the clock proved to be of great importance in assisting the young man to fulfill his destiny. It attracted the attention of the Ellicott family, who had just begun a settlement at Ellicott's Mills. They were well-educated men, with much mechanical knowledge, and some of them Quakers. They sought out the ingenious Negro, and he could not have fallen into better hands. In 1787, Mr. George Ellicott gave him Mayer's Tables, Ferguson's Astronomy, and Ledbetter's Lunar Tables. From this time, astronomy became the great object of Banneker's life, and in his study he almost disappeared from the sight of his neighbors. He slept much during the day, that he might the more devotely observe at night the heavenly bodies whose laws he was slowly, but surely, mastering. 
very soon after the possession of the books already mentioned banneker determined to compile an almanac that being the most familiar use that occurred to him of the information he had acquired to make an almanac then was a very different thing from what it would be now when there is an abundance of accurate tables and rules banneker had no aid whatever from men or rules and mr george ellicott who procured some tables and took them to him states that he had already advanced very far in the preparation of the logarithms necessary for the purpose the first almanac prepared by banneker for publication was for the year seventeen ninety two by this time his acquirements had become generally known and among those who were attracted by them was mr james mchenry mr mchenry wrote to goddard and angel then the almanac publishers of baltimore and procured the publication of his work which contained from the pen of mr mchenry a brief notice of banneker when his first almanac was published banneker was fifty-nine years old and had received tokens of respect from all the scientific men of the country among others thomas jefferson then secretary of state under george washington wrote him a most flattering and complimentary letter in his letter jefferson said nobody wishes more than i do to see such proofs as you exhibit that nature has given to our black brethren talents equal to those of other colors of men and that the appearance of a want of them is owing only to the degraded condition of their existence both in africa and america banneker continued to calculate and publish almanacs until eighteen o two mr benjamin h ellicott who was a true friend of banneker and collected from various sources all the facts concerning him wrote in a letter as follows during the whole of his long life he lived respectably and much esteemed by all who became acquainted with him but more especially by those who could fully appreciate his genius and the extent of his acquirements banneker's head was covered with a thick mass of white hair which gave him a very dignified and venerable appearance his dress was invariably of superfine drab broadcloth made in the old style of a plain coat with straight collar and long waistcoat and a broad-brimmed hat his color was not jet black but decidedly negro in size and personal appearance the statue of franklin at the library in philadelphia as seen from the street is a perfect likeness of him banneker died in the year eighteen o four beloved and respected by all who knew him though no monument marks the spot where he was born and lived a true and high life and was buried yet history must record that the most original scientific intellect which the south has yet produced was that of the pure african benjamin banneker the above is the story of that wonderful black man told in splendid terms of high and well-deserved praise by a white man every little black boy in america may well be fired with inspiration to do something beyond the ordinary by reading the story of banneker's life a little child shall lead them it's truly astonishing what a boy can do when once he has made up his mind to do his best dr lynn g broughton the famous pastor of the tabernacle baptist church atlanta georgia in a little book which he calls the modern prodigal has told a very pathetic story about a little boy 
it is so true to life and so typical of what a black or white boy may do under similar circumstances if he only decides for the true and the right that i have decided to reproduce the little story in this book it is well worth reading dr broughton says not long after i entered the ministry i went to a certain town to hold a series of meetings it was one of these good old southern towns the inhabitants of which banked on aristocracy and fed their souls on the glory of departed days they had never known what it was to be spiritually warm the first night i was there i preached to a great audience it was in my early ministry when i made many propositions the first one i made that night was for anyone to stand who wanted prayers offered for their friends as soon as i made it a little boy got up and walked out in the aisle where he stood looking at me square in the face i said god bless you little man and he sat down i then asked anyone who wanted the prayers of god's people to rise that boy got out in the aisle again and looked me in the face and again i said god bless you i asked if there was anybody present who was willing to accept jesus that boy stood up again and looked me in the face and again i said god bless you nobody else stood up that night and i began to think i had struck about the hardest and coldest crowd i had ever run up against the next night i preached as hard as i knew how to sinners and when i finished i asked anybody who wanted to be prayed for to stand up the same little rascal popped out into the aisle as he had done the night before and stood looking at me until i saw him and said god bless you i thought i'd vary the thing a little so i asked if anybody present was willing to come forward and give me his hand as an indication that he would accept jesus that same boy came shuffling out of his seat straight down the aisle and gave me his hand i saw smiles on the faces of some of the congregation nobody but the boy showed any interest and i went off somewhat disheartened the third night i preached and when i asked all who wanted prayer to rise that boy popped out into the aisle the people had begun to regard it as a joke and they nudged each other with their elbows while a broad smile flared from one side of the house to the other when i asked anybody who was willing to accept jesus to come and give me his hand that boy came and the congregation smiled broader than before after the meeting the deacons came to me and told me that the boy must be stopped as he was half a idiot and was throwing a damper on the meeting i said stop nothing how are you going to throw a damper on an ice house for the whole of that week that boy was the only person in the house who showed any interest in the meeting then he wanted to join the church the pastor was absent and i was to open the doors of the church the deacons came to me and said that i must not receive that boy as he didn't have enough sense to join the church i said look here brethren i won't take this responsibility on my hands i'm going to put that boy on you and if you choose to reject him his blood be upon your hands at the conclusion of the morning service i invited all who wanted to unite with the church to come forward that boy came i asked him if he had accepted christ for his personal savior that's all i ever asked he said he had brethren i said you hear what this boy has to say 
"'What will you do with him?' An ominous silence fell on the congregation. After a time, from way back by the door, I heard a muffled and rather surly, "'I move he be received.' Another painful silence followed, and then, from the middle of the church, I heard a muffled, "'I second the motion.' When I put the motion, about a half-dozen members voted aye in a tone so low that it seemed as if they were scared. I gave the boy the right hand of Christian welcome awaiting baptism, and then dismissed the congregation. The next day the boy went out to see his old grandfather, a man whose whitened head was blossoming for the grave, and whose feet were taking hold upon the shifting sands of eternity. "'Grandfather,' said he, won't you go to church with me tonight and hear that preacher we always feel kindly towards those who are afflicted you know and are willing to please them so the old man agreed to go that night i saw the boy and the old man sitting away back by the door when the sermon was finished one of the members of the church arose and said i have a request to make we have with us tonight mr blank one of our oldest and most respected citizens but he is out of Christ. I want special prayer offered for this my special friend. With that he laid his hand upon the head of the old man, down whose furrowed cheeks the tears were streaming. The next night I saw the old man sitting about halfway down the aisle. Then all who wanted to accept Jesus were invited to come forward and give me their hands. I saw the half-idiot boy coming down the aisle leading the old man by the hand. That little boy's father kept a saloon. The following day the child went there, and climbing up over the high counter, he peeped down upon his father and said, Papa, won't you go to church with me tonight to hear that preacher? You get out of here, child, said the father. Go out of here. Don't you know you mustn't come in here? Strange, strange, how fathers will keep places where their children cannot go. But Papa, continued the boy, "'Won't you go to church with me tonight?' "'Yes, I'll go, but you get out of here.' That night the man came with the half-idiot boy, and sat about where the old man sat the night before. When I asked all who would accept Jesus to come forward, he walked down the aisle and gave me his hand. He asked if he could make a statement, and when I said yes, he faced the congregation and said, "'My friends, you all know me.' and I want to say that so long as I live, I will never sell another drop of whiskey, for I have given my heart to God tonight, and from this day forward I propose to serve Him. The meeting warmed up at last. The town was set on fire for God. Every saloon-keeper was converted, and every saloon was closed. The feeling spread, and a saloon seven miles in the country was closed, and the keeper was converted to God. At the close of the meeting I sat on the front seat and saw the pastor lead three generations into the baptismal waters, the old man in front, his son behind him, and last in line the little half-idiot boy. The only mistake that was made, to my mind, was that the boy who had led the others to Christ should not have been first in line. Where is the little half-idiot boy now? He has grown much brighter within the last few years, and is now going to school. He says he wants to be, and will be, a missionary. What a lesson for the young today! Persistent self-surrender, 
ever doing the best we can is a never-failing way that leads to victory on being earnest of ten men who fail in life nine men fail for want of zeal earnestness courage where one man fails for want of ability this half-heartedness this lack of zeal this timidity this shrinking from duty and hard tasks is seen on all sides and among all classes but i tell you boys and girls that the least enviable people in all the world are those who think that nothing is particularly worth while that it does not matter how much a thing is done if it is only done with who dawdle along in a shabby sort of way considering only their own ease with little sense of responsibility and with no shame in being shirks every boy should make up his mind to live a round full earnest intense life every girl should do the same don't be satisfied boys and girls to be jellyfishes with only a capacity for drawing in nourishment and lingering on until your time comes to die be vertebrates people of backbone purpose aim enthusiasm earnestness at a public dinner president roosevelt asked governor odell of new york if he knew anything worth doing that was not hard in the doing and the governor could think of nothing as a rule perhaps there is nothing and yet things once hard in the doing become easy as a skill is gained by repetition be in earnest be faithful and resolute and it will act like a tonic giving light to the eyes springness to the step and buoyancy to the heart don't be overcome by your circumstances no matter how distracting a man's surroundings may be he may yet be able to focus his powers completely and to marshal them with certainty if he makes up his mind to do it if things go hard with the self-mastered man or boy he will be able to trample upon difficulties and to use his stumbling blocks as stepping stones if a great misfortune overtake him he will simply use it as a starting point for a new departure a turning point for more determined effort he may be weighed down with sorrow and suffering but he always starts anew with redoubled determination to do the thing he has set his heart upon doing he will not be discouraged he will not give up he will fight it out to the end put him in prison and he will write the pilgrim's progress deprive him of his eyesight and he will write the paradise lost it was the spirit of earnestness which fired the soul of martin luther at the diet of worms who after being urged to recant said here i stand i can do no other god help me it was this spirit which characterized william lloyd garrison the champion of the abolition of slavery who when he was urged to stop fighting slavery exclaimed i will not equivocate i will not retract i will not be moved one inch and i will be heard so be in earnest boys and girls at home at school at work and at play it will help you a thousandfold end of chapter eleven